0: Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. We welcome everybody here and in. And uh, it's warmer in here than it is out there, which is a good thing. And every time it's cold, we come outside in the morning. My kids ask, Is it going to snow today? And I don't think it is today, but it's a little chilly this morning. We're glad that you're here. Let's open with a word of prayer and we'll begin. Father, thank you for your wonderful uh, word to us that you love us and you. Uh, cherish us and that you have uh, given us a way to be saved, to be redeemed, and we thank you for that. We ask that you will uh, guide and direct in our lives this morning, that you will speak to us from your word, um, that you will uh, encourage our hearts and our minds as we long and seek to follow you. Uh, Be with those that cannot be here this morning. We have a number of families with illness or traveling, and we ask that you'd bless them as they are uh, out, and that you would encourage them this morning, whether watching online or from your word or a call or a a text from a a church member, that you'd encourage them today and uh, allow them to know that they're loved by their church family, but also by their Savior, and we'll uh, pray for that as well. We ask that you guide and direct us uh, again this morning as we open your word in a little while, that you'd teach us the things that we do not know, and uh, move and convict us in the things, in the places that we have not followed you, and uh, how we can follow you in a better way. And uh, we just pray all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Did well with that. Been a while since we sang that song, but a good way to start the new year, trusting the Lord for. Each of our tomorrows, our future, as we have trusted Him in the past. I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13 this morning. And also, as you're doing that, if you would, take out this morning's bulletin. If you need one, there are some at the Welcome Center. But if you would, look at today's bulletin and as well, Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to read there in just a moment. As you take a look at your bulletin, there's some things upcoming and some things that we can uh, pray over. You have our missionaries for the week that are there listed at the bottom, the Sotos, the Winds, and the Heltons, and uh, doing good works in each of those areas and places. If you want to jot down with their names, with those three names, if you would write Dan Canavan, that's our missionary to Ireland, and they are, have been home for about a month and a half furlough and they're flying back. To Ireland, I believe it's the 12th. So, a couple days from now, or a little later this week, uh, if you would, pray as they return. And they're excited to get back to the field and uh, begin ministering there in their church again. And so, if you would, pray for the Canavans this week <clears throat> as well. And you see some upcoming things, some announcements that we have uh, for some upcoming events. You see uh, there at the end of the month several events a ladies' fellowship, a men's breakfast. You see, on February 4th, there's a senior conference, a seniors conference there at the Edge Christian Camp, and a number of you have attended this in the past, and we'll have a a sign-up sheet for you out next week and tell you a little bit more about it as we get a little closer to it, but you can also sign up online. If you go to the edge.camp or the Edge's website, uh, you can sign up individually there as well, but a seniors conference on February 4th. And Kind of working our way backwards because I want to emphasize some things about this evening. But uh, you see, there January twenty second, we have some missionaries with us, Chris and Natalie I McPike. Mean, Natalie actually spent some time as a child growing up here in our church, and they are headed to Scotland as missionaries. And so they'll be with us the twenty second. That'll be a good day. Actually, that evening as well, we'll have a short uh, business meeting in which we're going to uh, try to vote to take on a few missionaries that have visited us in the last few months. The Toothman's uh, Scott and Julie Job planning a church here in Virginia, and then the McPikes as well, and uh, looking to take them on for regular support. That'll be that same evening. We have our prayer vigil, a day of prayer that we'll be having coming up January nineteenth, and we'll open up the building about seven that morning, and we'll go into the a little bit into the evening that evening. We've done this the last few years, and we gather some prayer requests from. Our members and families and friends uh, of our church, and you can gather some if you would like from others, but as well your own. Uh, there's a little tear-off sheet on the back of your bulletin this morning that you can t- uh, write any request out that you have. Your name's optional and tear it off. You can put it in the offering box in the back in the foyer, turn, give it to myself or turn it into the office, or uh, you can submit those online on the prayer section on the website or even just email them to the office and we'll have each of those printed and we'll lay them out here across uh, the auditorium and we encourage people to come in and pray for about an hour we kind of start on the hour each hour throughout that day and come in and pray it's amazing how quickly it goes uh, but pray with your family come bring us come as a couple or uh, come as friends and pray together and uh, if you cannot be here that day you're traveling or uh, out and we encourage you to commit an hour of prayer that day for our church and our church members and the ministries of our church, as well as we start off this year in prayer. And then if you would notice, this evening, kids' clubs resume uh, tonight at 5 o'clock. And I know they'll be working on a project together. And so uh, excited about that. And then uh, over the next couple weeks. And then you see uh, there tonight, our adult groups, the church, we're going to do a church membership class. We have just a few more weeks and then we'll return to our small group format. Uh, but we've been planning on offering a church membership class as part of a new members class as part of uh, our evening adult groups, and I was talking to a number of different men and different people in the church kind of about what we were going to be doing in our small groups coming up in the next semester, and when I continually when I mentioned that church membership class, several different people said, you know, we ought to all do that together once to sort of kick off, this is something that we... Uh, have done in the past and uh, would like to start doing in the future, offer it a few different times a year for prospective members, and the more I thought about it, I thought that's a pretty good idea. So there's about a four-week class that we're going to do together on Sunday evening, so whether you are a long-time member of our church or uh, you've been visiting with us and you're a prospective member, either way, we're going to gather together tonight, 5 o'clock for a church membership class. We'll discuss all sorts of different things, biblically, what does it mean to be a church, Um, What are some of our specific uh, details of our own local church? What are our responsibilities and our opportunities as members and as a specific uh, to our ministry? And uh, you can come a few minutes early each week and we'll have coffee and some drinks and that kind of thing in the back. And you could fellowship a little bit beforehand. And so I want to encourage anyone and everyone. You say, well, I've been a church member. I don't have to do this one. It'd be a good update for all of us. And uh, it'll also be talking the next few weeks about some things that we're planning on moving uh, into the future and how we're looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. That'll start this evening, run for a few weeks, and then we'll be back into our uh, individual groups or smaller groups a little later. One uh, prayer request, if you would add, to, We'll put her on the Wednesday prayer list as well. But Mary Martin asks for prayer for her daughter, Lori, who in this last few weeks has had a cancer diagnosis. And she's actually in the hospital, uh, if I understand right, this morning waiting, and they're hoping to start chemo uh, tomorrow. And so if you would pray for this, is Mary Martin's daughter, Kelly Martin's sister, uh, Lori, and so if you would be in prayer uh, for she and her family both as she begins uh, chemo tomorrow. If you would look at Matthew chapter 13 this morning in your Bible, and hopefully you have a Bible with you. If you don't, you can use one from the chair in front of you. If you're visiting with us or you don't have a Bible that you call your own, then we'd be more than happy for you to take one of those with you. We want you to have a copy of the Bible that you can call your own. So if in that Bible, if you would look at Matthew chapter number 13 this morning, Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look down in verse number 44, verse number 44, been studying Matthew for the last few months, took a small few week break for the Christmas season, looked at a few different passages of promise and words for our own waiting as we await the Lord's second return. And now we're back in Matthew, went back to chapter 13 last week, and we looked at the parable of the wheat and the tares, it's looking at uh, how God's kingdom dwells at the same time as other kingdoms, but there will come a day in which it is removed and, and it is called out. And then we looked at uh, the parables as well as the leaven and uh, the mustard seed and how God's kingdom may appear small, but it grows great and it is strong and provides shelter for those in need and those that are lost. And then we're going to look today at verse number 44 and look at three more parables this morning. So Matthew 13, look if you would, verse 44, very short and very simple parables this morning as we begin. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man. So now that word again signals that he's telling us now a, a new parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea, and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. And so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from amongst the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord, yes, Lord, we have Verse 52, And then he said unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Lord, give us, as you say in your word, ears to hear this morning. May you allow us by your Spirit to sense and see your greatness and your goodness and your teaching. And may you allow us by your Spirit to discern in our own lives, uh, how we value your kingdom and our relationship with you. We pray that you would guide and direct us today, that by your spirit your word would be uh, become evident in our minds and lives as to what it is and how we can apply it to our own lives. Help us not to just hear it, but to understand it, and then to see it change our lives as it is applied. We rejoice in your goodness, and we thank you for your love, and we trust you now in these next moments together, in Jesus' name, amen. As you look again at Matthew 13 this morning, and uh, we're going to walk through these parables given to us today. and. As we have been walking through Matthew 13, we have entered, or in the book of Matthew, we've entered a chapter in which the bulk of the chapter is parable teachings of Jesus. As we study Matthew the last few months, of course, we've walked through some of the narrative of his coming. Matthew is presenting Jesus in a way not only to the Jewish mind, but some ways initially focused to the Jewish mind to present Jesus as the Messiah, as the King, and as God's Son. And so, as he has done that, he has presented Jesus in his divine and prophesied birth, his early life and beginning of his ministry, his uh, temptation by Satan in the wilderness. And then Jesus gets into his teaching ministry. And you have that Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. And then you have Jesus not just. Teaching with power, but actually living with power. And he does miracles to prove that he has the authority not just to say what we should do, but that he is the God who has designed what we should do. And then he calls people to himself and sends them out and calls people to follow him. And then in Matthew 11 and 12, we've seen people reject him and turn away and turn aside from him because he wasn't what they expected, And when that happens in Matthew 12, we see a pivot point in Jesus' ministry, particularly in how he teaches, particularly in how he teaches when he's speaking to large crowds. From now through the rest of the book of Matthew, there is a high number of parables that Jesus teaches in. They're stories with a direct point. You've heard it defined a lot of different ways earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, or uh, there's all different numbers of way people have summarized what a parable is, but very simply, they are illustrations. You could almost refer to them. They're not exactly allegories, but that type of idea. They're an illustration in which Jesus tries to teach a point. Now, Jesus was not trying to just baffle and confuse people. Some people have taken even, there's some description, as you see there, that we've even read in the last couple weeks in our chapters, where it says that Jesus just spoke to people in parables from this point on in a lot of ways and a lot of times because he was keeping from them or hiding the kingdom from them. And it wasn't meaning that he was trying to veil and he didn't want people coming into the kingdom. But here's the truth. Actually, he's clarifying for them. He is preaching in Galilee and a number of the same people are following Jesus on a weekly and daily basis. And so he's already taught them directly, like on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, here is who inherits the kingdom of God, and here is what that's like in their lives, and here's what the kingdom of God is like directly. You've heard it said by the law, but, but I also want to teach you that you should follow by the Spirit. And he gives very direct teaching, so much so that he's even begun to tell a little bit about what's coming in his own life. And uh, we know from other gospel accounts that he's already started teaching them even about his own death and how he is turning toward Jerusalem, and he's going to fulfill all of the prophecies. He's spoken very directly a number of times, and there are some people that have gotten it, and there are some people that have not. There are some that wanted him to be a political ruler and Messiah, some that wanted him to be a, a great king, some that wanted him to take care of their physical problems and all of those issues and they had kind of just they were confused you can't really be the messiah if you're not what we think you should be by what we think the bible tells us or the old testament then there's others that yeah we get this he this is the son of god and so as jesus speaks parables he's doing a couple different things there are people that have just they have rejected jesus and his teaching they're still hanging around and they're still listening but it's as if Jesus is saying, "Look, I've told you over and over and over and over again in this way what it is that I'm trying to say. Now I'll just give it to you in an illustration." And there are some that believed and followed him, and they got it; they understood it. And there are some that they just they were not go- they had rejected; they were not going to understand no matter what he said. And to them, it was sort of just gibberish; it just it didn't make sense. And it's not that Jesus is being cruel here, but rather he is teaching with clarity. Think about if we were trying to, some of you have sort of a mastery in different fields. We have uh, people in finance, we have people in that are mechanics, we have some that work uh, with their hands on physical things and repair, we have some that deal with real estate, a number of different things. And for any of us to sort of enter into the other one's realm, there's going to be a learning curve. We have college students and it's, you know they, they've learned sort of more recently some of the things that are directly influenced into their field or career or whatever it may be. And they could talk in words. If I talk to somebody about real estate or finance or certain mechanics of a car or a machine and we're walking through those things, they can use words and it's going to come to a point in the conversation, I have no idea what they're talking about. And if we talk about it long enough, they're probably going to sense my confusion. And what do we typically do when we do that or when we sense that? We then may try to illustrate it. And say, well, it works like this. If I'm trying to explain certain types of finance to my kids, you know, when my kids got some candy for Christmas and I'm trying to explain to them. And they asked Dad, they asked me the other day, Dad, what is, they saw, they're starting to read a lot, and they saw on a receipt it said tax. Dad, what is tax? And so I tried to explain it to them, and they still didn't get it. I don't think I still get it. And they're trying to understand what it is. I said, well, let me, let me illustrate it for you. You got this bag of candy from people that love you at christmas time right yes we got this this is your candy isn't it yes it is who is in authority over you you are dead right i'm going to take some of your candy and i'm going to give you the rest back that is taxes that's what i try so i'm trying to explain it to them and so jesus is trying to do that in some ways with his disciples and those that are following him and so last week or last few weeks He's given a parable of a sower, and they're all about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So he talks about the sower and the seed, and it goes into the soil, and it responds in different ways. Well, that's response of people's heart and entrance into the kingdom. That's how he's, that's how he's illustrating it. Then he gives, last week we talked about the wheat and the tares, and that he's talking about the place and the timing of the kingdom. Some people thought when Jesus came, he was going to establish his kingdom right away, get rid of all others. And Jesus uses this illustration, says, no, you're going to have to grow for quite a while amongst the other kingdoms of the world. So the place, the timing of the kingdom, that it would come to an end. He talks about the mustard seed and the leaven, which is to show that even though God's kingdom appears small, that there is growth and there is strength in God's kingdom. And then this morning as we get to this treasure that's hidden and the pearl of great value and worth, he is talking about exactly that, the value and worth of the kingdom. So just to recap in the last chapter, response and entrance to the kingdom, place and timing of the kingdom, the growth and strength of the kingdom, and now the value and worth of God's kingdom. So you see there in your notes, it's a very simple idea today or a very simple idea a process, outline that we're going to walk through, simply the telling, how did Jesus tell these parables, what, did, what would they have meant to those hearing them, what are the truths that we learn from it, and then how do we apply it. And so as we walk through. So as we begin this round, I just want to ask you, let, let it sink in for a moment, how is the value of something determined? Think about it for a minute, how do you determine something's value? Value is, for a lot of things, is not always constant, is it? Or else we'd still be paying the same for gas and bread that we did 40 years ago. Uh, 50 years, it would have just stayed the same. But there's, there's factors that change those things. There's value for something that when there's a lot of it and nobody needs it, its, it's value decreases. When there's just a little and everyone needs it, its value increases. Came across a couple definitions. One said market value is the price of something like an asset that is determined by supply and demand in the marketplace. That's market value. Economic value represents the maximum amount that a customer is willing to pay for some of those things. Now, we know that sometimes in the last few years, we've even seen that those are not always the same, that there's plenty and it doesn't make sense, but people are willing to pay more for whatever it is. So how what determines value? came across an article that said that it's talking about when Facebook bought Instagram. It's two different social media sites or uh, programs, social media platforms. And Facebook brought Instagram, I believe it was back in 2012, I believe is what it said. They bought Instagram for a billion dollars. Now, the two guys that invented it, they just sort of worked on it together, computer guys and designing this thing, and it had kind of taken off. And at that point, it said Instagram had 30 million users, and they bought it for a billion dollars. That seems astronomical. And in their day, and in 2012, they viewed it, this is worth this. They're going to take this billion dollars, we're going to do other things with it. Today, Instagram has not 30 million million users, it has 700 million users, active monthly users is what it says. And it is valued not at a billion dollars, it made, it profited, 43 billion dollars in 2021. So you see the worth has increased when Facebook bought it, their company was worth $49 billion. Now they're worth a half a trillion dollars. Now there's other aspects to that, but that's a lot of big numbers. I don't understand who decides how much there is worth and how much there is value. There's advertising, all these things with it. I'm a more simple mindset. For instance, Boston has been saving some money recently. Our kids handle money very differently. Lex does not care. If he can't taste it, it does not matter. Uh, <laughs> Ellie is she says I have $2 there is a dollar tree on the corner that means I can get two items that's kind of how she thinks about it Boston has a longer term goal in view and he's been saving some things up with encouragement he has recently I won't tell you how much he has because that would that's that's private a kid needs to you know keep those things private but he has recently entered three digit earning level Okay, let that say he's entered, he is now a three-digit earner over the last six months or so that he's been saving. He was thrilled to enter that three-digit threshold. And as he did, I said, you know, he wanted to eat out when we were going somewhere. It was just he and I, we were gonna meet the family, and <clears throat> he said, Well, I wanna eat at and he kind of named a place, I wanna eat here. I don't remember where it was. I said, Well, I think we're just gonna eat at home today. Yeah, I said, he said, why? I said, well, we're gonna, we'll save some money. we just, we have some food. We have groceries, everything at home. We'll just, we'll just eat at home. He said, dad, I have money. And he pulled out his wallet and he had some with him. He said, you know what? I want to pay for lunch today. And I was, you know, I was moved by his willingness to do it. And I, I knew about how much it would cost. And it sat in for, for a second, he thought about it. He said, well, how much does it cost to eat a meal at such a, I said, you mean for all of us, for all five of us? I you know, said, so, you know, it depends on the restaurant. There's some restaurants we can go to, and if we're really good, the five of us can eat for $30, $35. There's other places that we eat, and it might be $40 or $45, $50, you know, 8 to $10 a person by the time we're done. Other places we would go, you tip somebody, you do all these other things, it could be $60, $70. And he looked at me with just the most baffled look in his face. And he's looking at how much money he has. And he's thinking about how much money that costs. And he just says, that's not worth it. (laughs) He's just amazed. Like, he's been saving for six months. And in 15 minutes, he could blow more than half of that on us eating food. And all of a sudden, he wanted to go home and eat. That's how how we have learned. For the next few minutes this morning, we're going to take that. And as humorous as that is... We're going to take that. And I think that sometimes we almost have a child's perspective on the value of life and eternity and our own person and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that we see that in what Jesus is teaching. And as we walk through this, let's look first at the telling of his parables. He gives us three simple, very easy, simple parables for us to understand. Here's the first one He says in verse 44 again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. So let's just think, uh, just paraphrase. I don't need to recreate Jesus' words here, but let's just paraphrase and and think about what he's saying. There's a man that's in a field. The Bible doesn't tell us what he's doing in the field. In Jesus' day and in the setting, most likely there's sort of an agricultural sort of implication here. A man is in a field, because it'd be weird if you're just walking around a field for no reason... The man is in the field, maybe he's working, maybe he's laboring, maybe maybe he's searching, but that's not typical. But they would go out and he's laboring, maybe he's a day laborer in whatever field he's in, and as he is out there, he comes across a treasure that is buried. Now, that may seem far-fetched to us, and when we're reading you know, this, it sounds like a fairy tale. That would have been very common in Jesus' day. In fact, it was done quite often. They didn't have banks, they didn't have safety Safety deposit boxes. They didn't trade in cryptocurrency. They didn't do any of that. You had what you had, and you had to figure out a way to protect what you had. They lived in very small homes. Oftentimes, it was in multiple families would live in the same abode or in the same area. There was children involved. There was animals that would be in and out. There was a lot going on. And so, to just store something in your house, they didn't have California closets. You know, to design little special compartments and put a safe here and all that. You had to figure out where are you going to keep these things to keep them safe. And so often landowners would go out and they would bury them in a spot <clears throat> that they would be able to go back and find them later. Things that they didn't have need of immediately so that no one would find them. No one would take them. It wouldn't be as easy to get them because it was easy to get in and out of people's houses and no one would come through and steal them. Well, with that, that quite common occurrence, there was often other things that happened. People would die unexpectedly. People would forget where they had put things. If you were very wealthy, I guess you bury it all over. you forget where it is. But over the course of time, certain things would be lost or forgotten. And when they were found, in fact, it was such a common occurrence that they had common laws in their day about what to do and procedures and protocol for when this happened. For instance, if you had land and you found a treasure in it, and as long as that treasure was in the land it belonged to whoever owned the land and you're going to see that in today's particular story if it was lifted out it can be claimed in different ways and there's a lot of different things to it we won't go into all that this morning but very simply he finds this treasure and it's in this field it belongs to whoever owns the field and the man looks at the treasure I don't know if it was coins or what it was it doesn't describe it and it's in a box or a pot or whatever it may have been And he looks at it, and he starts to realize how much is there. How much is this really worth? And he comes to understand that what is in there is worth more than anything he has out there. And he takes, and he leaves it, and he covers it back up. And it says, with joy, with delight that he has found this, he goes, and he sells everything that he has built to that point. His house, his land, it just explains, he sells everything. And then he goes to whoever owns the field, and he buys it. Well, now that he has bought the field, he also owns the treasure that is in the field. There's stories of, in West Virginia in particular, and in Texas, different places where there's oil or coal and different things, and they would kind of trick landowners out of it. And there was an old thing that they'd do, and they'd go out and say, "We want to drill your property to see if there's coal." And they'd drill down, and eventually black coal would start shooting out of the drill. Say, "Oh, there's coal." Then they'd go a little further. And all of a sudden, dirt would start shooting back out. They say, "Oh well, uh, it's not doesn't have that much coal. It's really not worth anything." Well, what they didn't tell the landowner as they were watching is that they were not sending the drill forward; they were sending the drill backward. And so, of course, dear, uh, of course, dirt started shooting back out. And they say, "Well, your land's not worth a whole lot. We'll give you this for it." And then a few months later, there's a coal mine on those people's land. They were sort of. Shift them out of it. Well, I don't know that the the man, what he's doing in his day and his culture, it wouldn't have been considered a shifty deal. This is what he does. He says, what is there is worth more than everything I have. I will give everything I have to have what is there. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. Look at the second one, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had bought one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So he says the king of heaven is like a merchant. Now, this is not like a mom and pop antique collector. This is what this man does for a living. He's going around and says he's searching for many good pearls, fine pearls. Now, pearls in that day are even more rare than they are today. They're, we have ways that we can sort of make them and kind of prod nature along to do them for us and put it in a certain environment. In their day, it would have been very rare. They didn't have the equipment to dive like we do. It was more difficult to find. There's risk Involved, I am told, I'm not a scientist, but I'm told that it's about, in, in nature, it's about one out of every 10,000 oysters actually produces any sort of pearl. And think about it, in their day, the beauty of a pearl. We can make a very round thing, a globe, a ball, and that kind of thing. With With what they had in their day, a perfectly round shape was actually fairly rare, if you think about it. And so it would have been of great value and great prestige and great rarity. And so he's going around finding these. This is how he makes his living. He buys a few here, sells a few there, and he goes about. That's how he has lived his life. And yet he comes across one that catches his eye. Look in verse 46. It doesn't give us a lot of scripture, but it says he found one of great price. And when he realized the value of the one that he was looking at, and he says this one is worth more than anything else that I've ever found or gotten before. And I'm willing, he says, to get rid of everything else that I've ever amassed and gained to have this one. Because the value of this one is greater than the value of all the rest. So you see some similarities there, and you see a few differences. Let's just note them for a second. What are the what are the couple of the main differences? Well, obviously you have a treasure and a pearl. There's not a, a lot of description in different places you find it. One's sort of found... In a field it's just discovered, and the other one is sort of searched for, and it 's found maybe in a market or it 's sold somehow. You have these two different men that are described one that seems to just stumble across the treasure and he just happens to find it he 's not really looking for treasure it doesn 't really describe that anyway. and the other it says he 's absolutely looking for this he 's searching for this and he says, the kingdom of God is like that it 's like people who stumble across a treasure. And then there's others who have been seeking for it for a long time. But then notice there's two items of great value. But notice there's joy in the one. He says, oh, he has found great joy in finding this delight in finding this treasure. And then the other description is that he realizes the great value of it, the the seriousness of it. And he goes and they they both sell everything they have to have what they realize is of greater worth. And we're going to Walk through back through those in just a moment. But notice the final one. Verse 47. The kingdom of heaven is like to a net that was cast into the sea, gathered of every kind. And when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So you have this net, and it's gathering fish at the end. And the Bible gives us the explanation of this one. It says, it's going to be like this at the end of the world. Angels come forth, a lot like last week's parable of the wheat and tares. Angels come They sever or separate the wicked from the just. They throw the one into judgment, wailing, gnashing of teeth, and the other, of course, establishes eternal life with the Lord. But notice the description. When it was full, this is something that they would have easily related to. Now, the disciples were not rich people, they didn't have treasure. They could hope to have it, but they wouldn't have really understood that. They didn't have the money to buy pearls, they weren't wealthy people, but they would have understood the value of it. But then, as he finishes, he gives this other illustration of drawing in a net. They absolutely understood the value of that. In the same way that some of you understand the value of jewels, some of you may understand the value of stocks and bonds, some of you understand the value of electric tr- or electronic trading, cryptocurrency, some of you understand the value of cars or houses or real estate or land, and you kind of have what you sense, this is what I really know, this is what the fishermen know. And what they would do is they would gather the net, and there were certain fish that could make the money and certain fish that could not. And in fact, the word that it uses there, it separates the good from the bad. It's not that there were behaving fish and misbehaving fish. It is that there were good fish to make the money. And the word it uses for bad fish there, it means worthless or rotten. And it says he cast the one aside, the, the worthless, the dead, the rotten, or the ones that are just so small and bony it doesn't matter, and the good, those that have value. So he says at the end of the age, how is it going to be determined? It's going to be determined by, in a way, he's sending to value. At the end of life, it is separated by those that are worthless and gain or, or without gain. And those that have gained eternal life through the righteousness of Christ. Now he's not saying you earn your worth before God. He's saying how is that determined? Well, that is back to the first two parables. And let's look there for a moment at the truths. Notice. The first parable, and let's look at the truths that we find in it. The treasure that was found in a field. The finding of that treasure, as you see it, it speaks to the hidden nature of God's kingdom. Jesus has been preaching openly about the kingdom of God, right? He has been preaching openly to those people since the Sermon on the Mount. He has been preaching openly to His disciples, to anyone, to multitudes that would gather And yet still, there is only a handful of people that are really committed to following him every day, day and night. And there are even beyond that, there's a few that will follow him perfectly, believe what he really says. But then there are multitudes that just don't get it. And Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God is saying, hey, look, in the world, the kingdom of God may not be always seen and plain and understood. It is a treasure to be found. Turn, if you will. We're going to look at a few passages that kind of back up and support what the Lord is teaching here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And look, if you would, at verse number 4 is where we'll begin. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Verse 3 says, Our gospel we be hid, hid to them that a loss. What about them? The ones that are lost, verse 4, what does it say about them? In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but, Jesus, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of jesus christ but we have this treasure in earth and vessels what is the treasure that the excellency of the power of god that the of the power may be of god and not of us he says the excellency of knowing christ of knowing jesus he says to some it has been hidden to us if you're a christian this morning in some ways it may just feel obvious That God's kingdom is great, of great value, and of great worth. It is better than all else. There is nothing else that is eternal. But in the world as a whole, that is a hidden truth. And Jesus says it's a hidden truth to be discovered. Notice that they also, back in Matthew 13, they find the treasure. But when he finds the treasure, what does he do? What is the description? This one's a little different than the second one. But notice in Matthew 13, if you would, look back at verse number 44. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for what? Joy! Joy. Goeth and selleth all that he hath. He's not begrudging. Oh, well, I guess if I have to have this kingdom. I guess if I have to follow God. If I have to follow Jesus, I will. No, it says people that really get it have great joy. And sometimes in our own lives, when we think about following Christ and our relationship with God and walking with Him, we don't get it. Sometimes we think it's, we do it begrudgingly. We do it because we have to. We do it so that God doesn't punish us. We do it so that we have some relationship with God, so that we stand for Him in heaven. It's like, well, we have been trying. Sort of like the, we do enough work in front of the boss so that He knows that we are working. And then at the end of the day, as long as we can show we accomplish something, then we're going to be fine. He's going to let us go home and do our own thing and leave us alone. We treat God that way sometimes. As long as I just maintain and just do enough and just follow enough. No, he says that with great joy, he leaves everything else that he's ever gained in life behind because he recognizes that what he finds in relationship with God is worth more than anything else he's ever found in his entire life. Let me ask you this morning, as a Christian, do you feel that way about your relationship with God? Do you feel as though he's, just, he's gotten you out of hell? He, and he's kept you from having a ruined life. He kept you from eternal fear and condemnation and judgment. But for the moment, my life is mine to live. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven does not work that way. He, he is not saying that you literally have to sell everything, forsake everything, choose him over everything in the sense that you, you, you get rid of your physical stuff and that's how you get saved. But he's saying that when you find and discover salvation, there is so much joy and delight in a real relationship with God that you realize everything else that you've ever amassed is worth nothing compared to what you find in Him. Do we really feel that way? It's great to say that. It makes a great sermon point. But is it what our lives truly sense and feel? Because this is what else we find. Notice the last phrase, "...he selleth all that he hath and buyeth the field." Notice you see there, nothing possessed already is worth more than what is gained in Christ. Let me ask you, do, do, do we live that way? Do we have this sense of denial for the kingdom? We deny ourselves, our own desires, and we deny what we want and chasing after other things. And both pictures, both parables have this picture to them, that there's two men willing to sell all that they have in order to possess the kingdom of God. And again, we're not talking about giving up things to earn your salvation because we know that Jesus has done this for us. But it means that when we find this and we find relationship in Him, that there are things that we are willing to set aside delightfully. Notice the second, the truth found in the pearl of great price. You see this merchant seeking pearls. This speaks to some that seek worth and meaning in life. Human beings have a natural desire built in them to find real value and meaning. Most of us do. Most people do not want to exist in this world, have some stuff, do some things, and then die one day. Most people try to sense what is actually important. They try to do something that has meaning. It may not be in their job or their work. It may be in some other avenue or through their family. Most people want to have meaning, and they want what they have to feel that it actually has worth and value. The problem is that in the brokenness of our sin, we often misassign value and we mistake things that are not worth anything. Whether it's uh, possessions or things or power, influence, authority, security, love, apart from God, all of those things are worthless. In Christ, they have great value as assigned and given by Him, but without Him, they are nothing. There are things that we leave behind. And so when he speaks to this one that is seeking, there are some of us that have seekers in life and found the Lord, and there's others that have stumbled across salvation or relationship with God. But you have this pearl of great price, and it's understood to be priceless, to have a precious value above all others. And again, the same thing, that obtaining this pearl required commitment on his behalf. Let me give you a couple other verses, and we're going to turn as we get ready to close. We'll turn to a couple other passages. Look, if you would, at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to see this is not just a concept taught by Jesus in one passage. It's all throughout the New Testament. And I ask you, as we begin to close, I want you to think in your own life, what is your relationship with God worth to you? What is it valued Now, we have certain possessions that we would say are priceless. And the truth is, they have no value either. (laughs) Like, there's certain things that you have that your parents left to you or a spouse or that your children made for you when you were young. You know, the little clay that they molded, the picture they painted. And you would not sell that. I don't know. Maybe you would. My kids paint pictures every day. And so I I might have a discussion with them if they colored me. I'm like, look, you have painted me. 500 pictures this month somebody just offered me a million dollars can we negotiate would it be okay with you if I did this I probably would do that okay I'm not gonna pretend that I'm above it but there are certain things in our lives that they they're priceless to us we would not sell them but they also really have no value either they're important to us but they have no real gain they have nothing to them that would be valuable to others that's not the way that the Christian life is. Notice Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 5. Paul's giving a description of himself. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, is touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But notice this phrase, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. What is he describing? What is it that we have to set aside? For the value of God's kingdom. Jesus over and over and over talked about, he talked about a number of things that people had to sort of set aside to gain or find the true value of his kingdom or relationship with him. But there's two that consistently stand out. The first is self righteous works, and the second is pursuit of gain or pleasure, money, pleasure, or earthly pleasures. He talked about them all the time. All the time, Jesus confronted them. What did he say to the Pharisees? Over and over and over. What did he say to the religious rulers? Over and over and over and over. You have to set those things aside and come after me. Paul recognizes that in Philippians chapter 3. He says, everything you have done to earn your way up to God is worth nothing apart from Christ. And he says, look, I've done everything. I've, I've been a Pharisee. I've memorized the law. I followed all the rules. But all of that, I had to let go. To seek and follow after Christ. Because I had to realize that none of those things could save me. Verse number 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Are you willing to follow Christ regardless of your own pride, your own mind, your own, your own self-righteousness? If you're not a Christian this morning, you're saying, well, I think I'm good enough to earn standing before God. It's not enough. And what this parable represents for us is someone that said, I've gained a lot and done a lot in this life. But I realize that none of it has value outside of finding relationship in Christ. Self-righteous works is something Jesus talks about a lot. The other thing Jesus talks quite often about is losing the desire or the pursuit of money or the pursuit of earthly pleasures. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not to make money. The Bible gives us that command that we can work and gain for ourselves. But it is realizing that there is no gain without Christ. Notice back, if you would, in Matthew, look at chapter 16. Matthew 16, a couple last cross-references. That in Matthew 16... We're going to read down in verse number 26 in just a moment. It says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Notice, if you would, verse 25 and 26. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. What does it profit somebody if they gain everything in the entire world but lose their own soul? And we have that in the sense of Christian, non Christian, saved, not saved, lost, or found in Christ in that sense? What does it matter if somebody owns everything in the entire planet? What would it matter if somebody gained every dollar, if they had control of every resource, if they had the power and authority over every nation? What would it matter at the moment that they stopped living, they stopped breathing, they stopped functioning, they stopped thinking, and they died? What does any of that matter? Because what continues on? Only the soul. And it's easy to point to someone that is lost or without Christ and say, yeah, they should really think about eternity more than they do because they're focusing on things that don't really matter. But we as Christians do the same thing. And this message is not just to those that are lost. That's not Jesus, who is he telling the par- this, these parables to? He's explaining it to his disciples, the ones that had committed to follow him. And he's teaching them, look, this is gr- of greater value than anything else you could ever gain in the entire world world, but what do we focus on most? Eternity is sort of like a, a a byword for us. We just think about it every now and then as we can fit it in. It's sort of like something leisure for us. But Jesus says the one that really gets this takes great joy in their salvation and it's a sole focus of their life and heart. It doesn't mean they don't do things in this world. It doesn't mean that you literally have to sit and do nothing and gain nothing. In fact, Jesus said he spoke against or spoke to these things quite often about self-righteousness, but also earthly gain. And think about it. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he says, what do I have to do to be saved? He says, you need to be born again. Now, what an interesting answer. He says, Nicodemus, you've done everything you're supposed to do, all of these works, but you are dead inside spiritually. And you need life that is given only through a relationship with God. Isn't it interesting? There's a rich young ruler that comes later that asks him the same question. But you notice that Jesus' answer is not the same. He doesn't say you must be born again. Now, that doesn't mean there's two different ways of salvation. What does he say to him? You need to keep the law, everything in it. He says, oh, I've already done that. What what else do I need to do to be saved? I say, you need to sell everything you have and come after and follow. Give it to the poor and come after and follow me. Now, is Jesus telling this man that's how you will literally be saved? No. In both of these men, he is identifying what they value more than they value God. And for Nicodemus, what Nicodemus valued was everything that he had done and everything that he had built and everything that he had accomplished and everything that everyone around him thought about him. He thought of that greater than he thought of an actual relationship with God. He says, you have to set that aside. And what did the rich young man think of or value more than Jesus or more than a relationship with God? Everything else that he had gained and amassed in life. And Jesus' answer to both of them essentially is the same. You don't see how it is worth it. You don't see the real value in relationship with God. As we finish, I want you to look at one more passage. We'll be there in just a minute. I was thinking about, uh, or or we can go back to Matthew, Matthew 13. I was thinking about yesterday singing a song kind of on my own time and it is a simple it is a simple passage in fact it feels like probably the longer we speak to it the more we will repeat the same thing or lose track of what we said so we're going to come to a close this morning because it's fairly simple do you value your relationship with god above all else and there's a difference in valuing saying this is important to me and valuing like, I really use this, and I'm focused on it. See, I have, they're not in here this morning, so don't tell them. It's, I'm not meaning this a mean way. There's, I have a lot of pictures and paintings and art projects by my kids, and you cannot have them. I, I want them. I'm going to keep them. I have one on my workbench that's down in my basement that I do work on. I have one that's on my mirror in my bathroom where I get ready in the morning. I have a host of them in a box in my closet that I never look at. I never take them out. They are valuable to me, and you cannot have them. They're priceless. You can't buy them. Maybe one of them, but you can't buy all of them. (laughs) They have value, but do I treasure them with worth? And the truth is, I treasure them because of where they came from, but those actual items, I don't ever take them out. I rarely look at them. I don't do anything with them. I don't display them. They're not a part of my daily life. Is there great value to that? Is there great value to something that I rarely do anything with? I can say, well, I, I love God more than I love anything else. I would, I would give anything for God more than I would give anything for us. Is it a daily relationship with Him? I was thinking about, I was singing kind of on my own yesterday. I try to do that only when I'm by myself. And I was singing through a song that we're all familiar with. When I survey the wondrous cross... On which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss. And pour contempt on all my pride. The song goes on and says, Were the whole realm of nature mine. What, what does it say? That is a tribute far too small. Think about the, the last phrase. Love so amazing, so divine. What does it do? Demands my soul. my life, my all. It doesn't demand the box in my closet, the plastic Tupperware container that I keep all my treasures in. That is not where my relationship with God is supposed to go because there's no value there. And he finishes the text with this net drawing things in. He draws in these fish and he says he separates out some that are good, some that are bad, some that are worthless, some that are valuable. What makes them good or valuable? And we know that in the terms of the Christian life, you are not going to gain value before the Lord by what you do. You gain value by what you treasure. Do you treasure Jesus Christ? Do you treasure relationship with him? Because at the end of the age, the end of the world, that net is drawn in and the angels and God are separating people out in judgment. He does not look at one and say, oh, you have done enough, you get in. You have not done enough, you don't. It just comes down to what kingdom they treasured. Did you forsake all and follow Christ? Did you repent of your sin and your self-righteous works and seek after Him in grace and mercy? Did you trust God's plan more than your own? What did you value? What did you treasure? What did you follow? Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning as we close. I want you to think for a moment, just before we pray, the Christian faith is of tremendous worth. But if we were to look at your life this morning, think about your life, and ask yourself the question seriously. If we were going to look at your life today, would it declare the value of relationship with God? would it declare the value of Jesus Christ? You can come to my house. There's a lot of things out in different places. There's a few pictures here and there. But the truth is, where I put my kids' art and how I live on a daily life, interacting with it, it doesn't show any value. But I would hope, I'm not a perfect dad, but I would hope that if you came to my house, this afternoon, and you saw me with my kids, you'd see it different. I don't keep them in a box in the closet and take them out only when I am, you know, interested. I have to live with them each and every day. I get to experience life with them, relationship with them, loving them, the good, the bad, the fun the scary, the disturbing. So if you were to come to my house look at pictures that they painted, based on how I live, you'd say, they don't mean anything to you. But I would hope that if you came to my house and saw how I live with my kids, you'd say, oh, they mean a lot to you. So which one is it for you this morning? If somebody came, we came into your life, into your house, into your spirit and your soul... Is your relationship with God in a plastic box in the closet that you take out every Sunday? Or is it what you live with each and every day? What you love? What you cherish? Christian faith in these two parables it's marked by value and marked by joy. That the man with great joy went and sold all that he had. Which one is it for you this morning? Do you have deep joy that you have found in relationship with Christ? If you haven't, It's there for you. Whether you are not a Christian this morning, maybe the Lord is like a man in a field stumbling on a treasure. Maybe the Lord is opening your eyes to see that relationship with God is worth more than anything else you've ever had in your entire life or anything you will ever have. Follow Him today. You're at this altar any time there's invitation or after. You can come forward or speak to one of us after follow the Lord today? Or if you're a Christian this morning, what value does your life declare about the Lord? Father, we ask you to have mercy on our hearts this morning, to be gracious, to save those who may even assume that they are saved when they are really not. To save those that have stumbled on your beautiful salvation. To save those that have been searching I have not yet found. And for the Christians, we pray this morning that we would remember the gospel, that our hearts would be ever flowing with springs of joy and that we may see you as our strength. May the joy of the Lord be our strength. And we ask that you would teach us your great value and worth. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand if you would. We'll sing a final song together here at the altar there at your seat. If the Lord has spoken to you this morning, His Spirit said, You have not valued. Your life does not declare my worth. You have not treasured me. Let's commit that to Him. Be in His Word this week in prayer, seeking, denying self, following after Him. Let's sing and commit that to the Lord. morning what christ has given us is worth more than all we could ever have and we will sense that we'll see it in its beauty one day but may we live it even now may we display with joy and with pleasure the worth and value of our relationship with our god hope that you'll be back again tonight these few weeks that we're going to be working through it's important for any of our church members and those that are interested if you've been visiting for a while and you're interested in Coming into the membership of our church, this will be an important class for you as well. And uh, just some simple things, a chance to discuss some things and then walk through some things biblically and then also particularly to our uh, local church. And we'll do that for a few weeks and then at the end of it there will be opportunity for uh, you to join our church if you're interested in that. And then those of us that are members to uh, live uh, to our responsibility and our opportunity As members not of a place, and not we're going to talk about that, not of this place, not of this auditorium, not members of an address or a club. We are members to one another, and that's where our responsibility is held. So we're going to talk about that these next few weeks, and let's be back. Um,